I don't really know how to start shows. Come on now, don't start, don't start liking me now. So yeah, I'm funny compared to, you know, well, you'll see later. I stand for mayhem! I know a lot of fucking idiots. I think a lot of shit is mean-spirited just because it goes against what they believe. But the relief of comedy is it takes things that aren't funny and it allows us to laugh about them for an hour. We got a purple suit to buy and a gigantic coffin. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Why Are You Laughing? A History of Comedy podcast. And today, I am pleased to introduce to you the legendary Andy Kaufman. Probably our most requested episode. Well, I say that about a lot of episodes. So I'll say one of our most requested episodes. Um, a lot of people say you got to do Andy Kaufman. And my hesitation for a while was that there's been so much about Andy Kaufman. There's a movie, a Jim Carrey movie about the guy, for God's sake. And then, of course, uh, the documentary Jim and Andy was popular recently. So I was like, ah, is there too much Andy Kaufman stuff out there? And then I think with the Gary Shanley episode, uh, Gary Shanley had a nine hour documentary made about him. So I realized we can put our own spin on it and hopefully... Uh, maybe bring up some things you guys didn't know or introduce it to an audience that wasn't too familiar with Andy Kaufman. I like, like uh, Craig, for example, right before the show, said, I don't know much about uh, Andy Kaufman. So you might ask, maybe the producer should have done some uh, background research, but it'll be fun. It'll be like a <laughs> crime junkie when we get to a point and the producer asks me, like, wait a minute, you're saying he wrestled women as a... <laughs> As a man, and I get to go. As a matter of fact, Craig, he did. So it'll be fun setups like that. It's the it's the one the one subject that he's uh, been involved with, and I'm like, yeah, I know he he fights women. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we will cover uh, a lot of Andy Kaufman today, and hopefully, you know, introduce you guys to, to some things you didn't know about him, or send you down a, a rabbit hole that makes you learn more about him, as we like to do here. And uh, if you want these episodes a week early, if you wish. Man, I wish I heard this last week. <laughs> then uh, you can subscribe to the Patreon, where you also get bonus episodes. Uh, we actually have to do a couple of those this month, so put that on the agenda. Um, but uh, we do a couple bonus episodes every month for Why You Laughing. Some more obscure stuff, like the radio segments we've been doing, or the roast of Rich Voss, or stuff that might not make sense for a normal episode, but uh, you people on the Patreon or YouTube members will enjoy. So become a YouTube member or a patron. Uh, on Patreon. Go to blindmike.net. That's the easiest place to find all those links. If you'd rather just subscribe for free, that also supports the show. So subscribe on YouTube, uh, like, comment, all that stuff, or wherever you get podcasts, Apple, Spotify, all the links are there for this podcast, as well as uh, all the other stuff that I do, Blind Mike Project and who are these socials. So go to blindmike.net for all of those links and support the show. We appreciate it. Uh, so, yeah, Andy Kaufman is a guy... That essentially, in my opinion, um, alt comedy has gotten this weird definition. Now, we've talked about it a little bit recently mm. where alt comedy kind of encompasses, for whatever reason, anyone that like leans left. Like <laughs> yeah. I even heard John Mulaney called an alt comic where I, I can't think of a more traditional stand up than John Mulaney, you know? in terms of style and even just he wears a suit and he seems like kind of a clean cut guy. Like he does not seem like an alt comedian he seems like a guy that would have fit in in the 1940s you know yeah when i when i think all comedy i think of like uh like extremely bizarre wacky stuff like kaufman or like the uh the comics that don't really tell jokes and they think they're being powerful sure yeah well that's kind of, i would define old comedy more as anything andy kaufman would have tried or might have thought was a good idea yeah you know like i think he kind of created that format and we'll get to some of the stuff today where 
Andy, you don't think of this, but Andy Kaufman pushed boundaries in a similar way. Like we talked about Dice a couple weeks ago or Lenny Bruce. Like, I don't think you think of Andy Kaufman in that way, but in his own way, he did push a lot of boundaries um, that helped progress comedy into what you see it as today. So did uh, Shane Uh, Gillis, as he told us in his apology. Well, Shane Gillis pushes boundaries. Yes, as a comedian, (laughs) you push boundaries and sometimes you you fail or whatever he said. (laughs) Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll get into it, but we'll start with his early life where, you know, uh, I, uh, because I grew up when I did like Andy Kaufman was already legend by the time I heard about him, you kind of think of this weird guy just hatching and, and there he is. But, uh, his early life actually makes sense once you learn about it a little bit. So we have another draft dodger on our hands. Is that where we're starting? <laughs> uh, we're starting at, um, uh, psych evaluation. Yes. Psych evaluation. Yeah, exactly. Let's hear it. After graduating in 1967, he could have been drafted into the Vietnam War, but following a psychological evaluation, received a permanent 4F deferment. The reason? A letter from the doctor claimed that Kaufman had lived, quote, in a fantasy world since preschool days, completely <laughs> disconnected from reality. The doctor also went on to write that if Kaufman were ever put in the military, he would, quote, lose his mind. Kaufman, for the record, absolutely loved this letter. He proudly displayed it to all his buddies, who knew full well that Kaufman had purposely treated his psych evaluations as a high-stakes joke. So you have another one of these. Essentially, every comedian except for Don Rickles at that time was like, oh, I'm crazy or I'm gay or whatever they could to get out of this draft. And I love every every one of those stories. To be fair, though, this one might have been legit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, that's the thing is they, they kind of say like, oh, Andy Kaufman, you know, played up how crazy he was, but he was a bizarre guy. Like from the little I know of Andy Kaufman, I don't see him, you know, out in Vietnam fighting Charlie, you know, that doesn't, doesn't fit his personality necessarily. Yeah. If you're in the foxhole and you look left and you see Andy Kaufman, are you comfortable? <laughs> yeah, But this is a little more. So this is uh, Bob Zamuda on Mark Marin. I have a couple clips from his appearance with Marin. Bob Zamuda is an interesting character because he was very genuinely very close to Andy Kaufman. When you hear him talk, you do wonder, like, is he a bit of a bullshit artist? And I think what really rubs me the wrong way about Bob Zamuda is uh, he wrote a book maybe about 10 years ago or so. Basically, and he did, you know, a media tour. He goes around to all these shows and he's like, Andy, it's safe to come out now. <laughs> the the trick is the prank is over. We know you're not dead, Andy. And everyone was like, "Okay, Bob, we we get <laughs> you're it." Still, you're still making a few bucks off of this guy. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know. We, we saw the body, for God's sake. There was an autopsy report, but uh, Bob was a mood. Well, spoiler alert: Andy Kaufman dies. Sorry about that. Did it again? I did it again. <laughs> um. Anyways, I just wanted to. But oh, but I should say that. Um. Bob Zamuda was Andy Kaufman's writing partner. Uh, he also played Tony Clifton at times, which we'll get into that. But I just wanted to preface my thoughts on Bob Zamuda before you uh, hear all this. But it is an interesting insight into early Andy, because like I said, you know, we, I, I was born in 91. So Andy was already gone by the time I, certainly by the time I got into comedy. And so I just kind of thought of him as this weirdo. This is a story that starts to add up. You start to see how the man was created a little bit. 
to the six. Andy Kaufman came out of the sixties. Like I said, we were just talking about on Wall Street. Now they're complaining, give us the jobs. Back then, you were you were doing well if you didn't have the job. Fuck the man. Yeah, fuck the. If you had a job, you were square. You were a dork. Got it. You weren't part of what yeah. was happening in the in the youth movement, right? Counterculture. So Kaufman was a product of that. Kaufman came from a rich family. He had a black nanny. You know, his dad was <laughs> oh, in the jewelry business and great pish posh. I found it very weird that he specified a black nanny. Like, you know, he didn't have one of those Hispanic nannies. See, this was the real deal. He got the good one. <laughs> I thought that was so odd that he threw that in there, but I just wanted to point that out. Classic Jewish upbringing. Yeah, and he rebelled against it. He left the house when he was about... Andy Kaufman he used to have hair longer than me, a big beard. You should see the early pictures of him. And he was a real hippie, and he left He left his house, and he lived into the... He moved into the city park, and and lived on and, and slept on a park bench just for, because. So he for, was an upper middle just, class, yeah, rich just, kid. just to fuck with the family, right? And, just to say fuck. And you. the cops wouldn't arrest him. Go, go, go! That's Stanley Kaufman's kid. <laughs> Stanley was well known in the community. He had money, so they just left him alone. But Andy used to take every kind of fucking drug there was. He he was a, a teenage alcoholic. Didn't he knock some woman up? Yes, yes, and he yeah he he he, uh, he got a girl <laughs> pregnant when he was eighteen. She was eighteen. They of course the parents did the right thing and decided they put the kid up for adoption. They didn't uh, specify the race of this woman, which I find Bob's weird. Bob also taking a hard stance on abortion there. Did the right thing. <laughs> 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 but, um, yeah, so that that's interesting, and I don't know. Uh, I had never heard that. Obviously, Marin heard the thing about adoption. That was mm-hmm. familiar to him. I had never heard any of that. Um, so I, I know what I know of Andy Kaufman is that he was clean and sober, didn't even smoke cigarettes as an adult. So when you, and I remember thinking of that as odd because he seems like a guy that would be in the mushrooms or acid or something like that. For sure. And when you hear he's clean and sober, you're like, that's strange. So when you hear about his youth, just being a completely rebellious kid, that starts to add the building blocks start to present themselves a little more. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, but next we have him talking about Elvis here. Yeah. So this is, and we talked about it a lot with Dice because it's very similar. Um, like I'm surprised Dice didn't say he got influence from Andy Kaufman because his bit with uh, Elvis was very similar. I was seven. I really liked Elvis Presley and yeah. I would stay in my room and imitate him, play his records and make believe I was him. And uh, when I was about 20, I was in college and I was walking down the street and um the college was having a, what was called the Soul Time Review. It was a talent show, all, all black talent show. So the people who were putting it together came My to nanny me and said, was there. you know, they would laugh at me all the time. I don't know why, but they'd yeah. always laugh at me. So the, um, they came up to me and said, Andy, how would you like to do a little something for our talent show? And I said, well, I don't know how to do anything, but what I do in my room. So I... Yeah. <laughs> Imitated, I went on and I imitated Elvis right, Presley. Right. They all thought, you know, they were calling me, they said I was the uh, comedy relief and the token white buffoon. <laughs> That's what they called me. Yeah. And uh, they thought it was really going to be a bomb. Yeah. And they liked it. It's interesting hearing Andy Kaufman in interviews, too, because, again, there's this portrayal of Andy, and I don't think the movie helped this at all, and I don't think Jimmy, Jim Carrey's portrayal of Andy Kaufman helped the narrative on him, because there, there's this... Uh, narrative that he's insane right like, that he's genuinely a crazy man right. and then when you hear him in interviews he is more grounded than the the legend or the myth of andy kaufman would lead you to believe like him kind of talking about his you know, early process there and stuff 
it's not dissimilar from how you hear comedians on 10 million different podcasts do it now, you know, like he is, there was, there, there was a method to his madness. And I don't know if that was appreciated enough because it was so legendary of how bizarre he was that it became sort of a fish story where he got more and more wacky, you know, as, as time went on and as people retold the stories. And a lot of the times too, though, people, um, they read too much into his characters. Yes. So they're like, oh, that has to be the real guy, not him playing a character. And then they, I think that's what happens with that. a lot of geniuses or people that are considered geniuses is they are so known as geniuses that you start to read into everything they do. Correct. And you're like, oh, by this, he must have meant that. Right. But in reality, it wasn't it was there was no forethought to it. And if you hear but, a lot of those kind of interviews with people getting asked that kind of question, they're like, no, nah, I didn't think anything. I just kind of <laughs> right. <did> it. <laughs> but it was a very funny bit. Now. Where the Elvis bit with Andy Kaufman, and if you don't fully uh, know what it is, because he didn't go into too much detail there, he would do uh, the foreign man. Like, that became Latka on Taxi, and that's probably the bit he's most known for is the foreign man, where he would come up and he would do this little voice, and he would say he can, uh, it being introduced as just some, you know, basically bumbling foreigner who walked into an open mic, and says, I can, I can do impressions. I can do Archie Bunker. You, you're stupid, meathead. You're so stupid. And everyone's like, oh, this is a terrible bit. Like, if you're seeing that in an open mic, you're like, oh, this poor guy is bombing. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's crushing in his head. And then he's like, uh, I, and I have uh, one more impression. I do Elvis Presley. And then there's like a big musical introduction. And he changes into his entire Elvis and does a spot, uh, like a perfect Elvis. Yeah. And at that moment, you're like, oh, this guy was fucking with us. And though I'm spoiling a story we have in a minute, but the reason I'm telling it is um, because what he, so you hear there, you obviously hear him with Carson. And once he's on the Tonight Show, I always felt, and maybe this wouldn't be true if I was watching live TV in 1978 or whatever, mm-hmm. but I always felt like if I was watching it on the Tonight Show, it doesn't work. Because I'm thinking, well, Johnny has him on. He didn't just right. stumble into the, you know. <laughs> and uh, we actually, we've played uh, a clip or two from that uh, that interview before. I think on the Impressionist episode. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, I guess that's my point is that when you're watching the Tonight Show, you're like, there must be some merit to this guy <laughs> yeah. when he's on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. I, I don't know if that resonated the same way. The way people tell the story is that it did, where you're kind of like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> but I always think, and again, maybe this wouldn't be the case. I have the, the luxury of uh, hindsight. But I always think that if I was watching that, I'd be like, well, he's on TV. Clearly, he's not a failure, you know? <laughs> he's doing something correct. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next, we have Bud Friedman. Yeah, so I, he's going to retell the story I just told pretty much. But <laughs> let's, hear, let's hear from Bud Friedman, who was a big uh, influence on Andy's career. He came in. Um, he was recommended by uh, a nightclub owner um, in Great Neck who called me up and he said, I got this kid that's very good. Put him on. And uh, little did I know that I would be the one that was put on. But Andy came in and introduced himself as Andy Calvin, and he was doing The Foreign Man. And he told me that he was from a little island in the Caspian Sea, and uh, (laughs) geography not being one of my strong points, I, okay, yeah, 
you know, I'll have to look it up when I get home and find out exactly where it is and what they grow there. And uh, he went on stage as the foreign man, and he probably did about 10 minutes of that, and it was cute and amusing, and I was laughing. And then he went into Elvis, and I said, boy, he really got that down good. And... Uh, Sings, you know, it's easy to sing along. He's probably heard the records on his little island. Uh, <laughs> probably no electricity, but they cranked up the thing. And when he finished Elvis, he, of course, uh, thank you very much. And at that point, I knew I had been had, and uh, I just fell on the floor. It was wonderful. And uh, and uh, Bud Friedman's a guy that, uh, so he ran the improv in New York. Um, back in the day. And that's where guys like Andy Kaufman came up. I think it was before catch a rising star was open, but like we, th- I think our generation thinks of the comedy seller as, um, you know, New York's rival to the comedy store, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like that's the big club in New York now. But at that time, like the comedy seller, I don't know when the comedy seller opened, but it, I don't think it had its panache until the Colin Quinn, Nick DiPaolo, Patrice O'Neill crew came in. I think in the 70s and 80s, it was really like the improv and Bud Friedman. Um, and we mentioned him in another episode. I can't remember when else we mentioned Bud Friedman's name. 1980, had, 1982, the comedy seller opened. Yeah, there you go. So in the 70s, Andy Kaufman didn't even exist yet. So uh, Bud Friedman saw a guy like Andy Kaufman and said, hey, I, I like what this guy's doing. It's weird. I want to give him an opportunity and kind of uh, make a name out of him. Now, he also, I guess... I saw Andy Kaufman telling this story. Now, the way you hear Bud Friedman tell the story, that seems like their first interaction. Mm-hmm. Andy Kaufman says that he auditioned for um, Bud Friedman by doing a bit where uh, he orders, he's at a, a restaurant, and he's done this, he did this on, uh, I think this was in his Carnegie Hall special, which we'll talk about. But um, he orders, he's at a restaurant, and he orders vanilla ice cream and then he just pretends to eat it <laughs> and that's that's the bit <laughs> it's like at, it really takes it shows how much confidence and charisma and personality matters because i don't think i would ever be able to pull that off in a funny way even though i understand what's funny and weird about it I think you have to really be committed to bits like that in order to to pull them off properly. Oh, a thousand percent. Um, so yeah, Andy Kaufman would do weird stuff like that, which we'll talk more about. But let's uh, let's continue in order here. I keep jumping ahead. Uh, we are at um, not mainstream. Back to Marin. Yeah, I mean, the, I think it frustrated Andy. Like, it's interesting to hear Zamuda talk about this because. Um, again, kind of the legend that goes along with Andy Kaufman is that he wants to be obscure and weird, but you forget people want to entertain people and you want to make money doing it. So let's hear a little more about that. Already. Well, no, but here's what's weird. He was the hottest cabaret act in New York City, Andy. Yeah, he was not doing TV, though. But, not, no, no, no but he would hire him. Right. No, even like, because then comics opened for like the singers, Sonny or Shara. Sure. That's what they did. Right. So, so guys like Lynn, all those people started opening for musical acts. But they couldn't trust Andy with that. Because nobody had a big comedian that would do that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Andy, you know, he'd go there and he'd start crying or something, and people would call, <laughs> you know, call his manager and say, this is bullshit. You can't get him off. He's crying. Yeah, this is bullshit. Yeah, People, yeah. this is disturbing the audience. He's not doing his job. Fox, yeah. Sonny and Cher fired him. Yeah. 
They said this, you know, Sonny should have just fired him when he was on stage. Said, get the guy off. This yeah. is awful. Yeah, they didn't get it. They didn't get it. You know, yeah. and so for, no one got it. No except one for got the it. People that got it. And that was so for years, he was the hottest act in the club, but everybody else was getting work. Boozler, Leno, everybody else was working, but yeah. him. And it really was weird. It really kind of hurt him because it was like, Jesus. But he knew know? what he was doing. He knew that it was like above and beyond the but, understanding. But he of- knew he wanted, he needed that fame yeah. so that he could then play bigger places and do his act so yeah. other people could see him. Yeah. It wasn't so much for the money. It's just so people could come and see what he did. Right. You know? It's so funny. He's just crying. And the description <laughs> of Andy just cr- breaking down and crying. It's great. But you hear like a guy that wasn't interested in doing TV. That's so interesting for the seventies. Cause that's kind of the, the pinnacle of how you make it. Now you'll hear a lot of comedians say, I, if you know, Netflix or Amazon or whatever offered me a sitcom, I don't even know if I would do it. Or especially if, you know, NBC came to you and offered you a sitcom. I think there's a lot of comedians now that would turn that down in 1978. No one's turning that down. But Andy Kaufman, and Andy Kaufman didn't even turn it down, which we'll get to. But my point being, a guy that didn't want to be on television is so interesting. But what you also hear there is like, yeah, I would kind of like to be mainstream, though, in the sense that I want to perform in front of as many people as I can. I don't want to be performing in front of eight people at 2 a.m. in the comedy store. I think, you know, again, when, when you talk about the legend of Andy Kaufman, it's almost become where you think of him as a guy that would only want to perform in front of eight people. But in reality, he's like, no, I'm a, I'm a performer. I want to make money doing this. I want to do the the best that I can in front of the most eyeballs, you know? Yeah. The more I think about it, the more I am surprised dice did not mention him. Cause you'd think the day that the laughter, it's very similar. The day that the laughter died is like a Kaufman bit. Yeah. 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 He's very similar to Andy Kaufman, which is kind of, well, I, again, like you said, I was surprised as well, but, uh, another thing, uh, um, that Andy Kaufman did, it just made me think of it, is uh, he would get on stage and he'd read The Great Gatsby. And that was the bit. That was the bit. Beginning to end. <laughs> he would read it. He'd get in front of a, a, a packed audience. He would start reading The Great Gatsby. And, you know, one by one, slowly the audience would realize, like, oh, he's just reading this book. And people would kind of trickle out and he would just read it until everyone in the audience left. And that was his, <laughs> that was his routine for the night. Did someone call him a glass of milk on their way out? <laughs> <laughs> but that, and that's what you, so you, um, it's, it's a pretty good episode of uh, WTF with Mark Marin, mm-hmm. where they're talking about Andy in a way like, no, he pushed boundaries the same way that a lot of people like, you know, Carlin and Pryor, you think of them pushing boundaries. Andy Kaufman pushed boundaries of the weird. Like, correct. Now you're able, now like Bo Burnham can exist. Right. Or exactly. Whatever, whatever these bizarre acts are that you're not used to, those are allowed to exist because Andy Kaufman would get in a sleeping bag and take a nap on stage. Right. Yeah. Bo Burnham's a perfect example of like alt comedy in my head. Yes. That to me is alt comedy. Comedy. Now, I don't get why I don't get why Mark Maron's considered like the king of alt comedy. To me, he's a stand-up. He's a stand-up. He happens like, to be a liberal. <laughs> like Patton Oswald's not alt to me. No, not at all. And, and now again, he, he's liberal, and yeah. for whatever reason, that's become that term. Um, and like I, I think I said this a couple weeks ago, but 
I forget who I was listening to talk about it, but they said uh, all the definition of alt comedy essentially became guys that would go into the comedy cellar and would be afraid of Patrice and Rich Voss calling them gay. <laughs> For whatever reason, that became alt comedy, and it's not. I, Andy Kaufman <laughs> is to me the godfather of alt comedy. I'd be an alt comic then. Yes, yeah, we all would. <laughs> I think. Uh, but next, uh, still with uh, Marin, uh, I'm talking about SNL. Uh, yeah, and so Andy Kaufman was on SNL a lot, but was not a cast member. And it's interesting. Um, it, this is a weird, this is the very beginning of SNL. I think this is even season one they're talking. So it's interesting to hear how SNL has evolved over the years and uh, the process with getting Andy on there. So so that's that's what happened. It really was Ebersol who got him on Saturday Night Live. Season and, one, right? Yes, he was. A, people don't realize Andy Kaufman was a semi-regular right. on Saturday Night Live. He couldn't. He wanted to be on more and more and more. And, they, and Lawrence says, "I can't. I can't. I can't do it." So finally, Andy said, "Then by now, Andy has. Uh, uh, it was uh, um, uh, Carl Reiner." Mm-hmm. Was George Shapiro, Shapiro West, George, yeah. was uh, who's who's uh, had Carl Reiner as a client, and and he said you got to see this kid. And then Carl Reiner was friends with uh, Dick Van Dyke because they had done the Dick Van Dyke show, and Dick Van Dyke had that summer series that went on, and that they they flew the kid out. He started to be they started to be singing like that, and soon he was then offered. Uh, he, he did a little little pilots here, but that when they brought a Taxi together. It's it, so it's interesting to hear Lauren Michaels basically be like, "I Andy, you're too much. Like you're better every please leave me three alone. weeks or right. once a season or whatever." Right. That's interesting to me because I would think, unless Lauren just knew this guy was like impossible to control, you yeah. would think Andy could have been on the cast. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, we have an example from uh, from the show Fridays, which maybe Lauren was ahead of his time in knowing this guy would be impossible to control. Right. But you would think he'd be kind of a perfect SNL cast member, you know? I was going to say, was there ever a time on the show that he went off script and, like, ruined the show? Well, this is season one, so I don't think so. I mean, like, we'll get to a time where he did it on, on other shows. Right. But Right. I don't know that he had that reputation season one of SNL and he had not gotten taxi yet. So he's not this like major star or anything. I think he was known, but you know, he's doing small roles on the Dick Van Dyke show and things. So like, I don't know. It was interesting to hear that. But the other interesting part, when you hear about early SNL, like I always think of like the idea of Norman Lear hosting. Right. Um, or even George Carlin at that time. But also the idea of like Andy Kaufman coming on multiple times a season. They haven't now, like now they have this, you know, legendary formula that they don't stray from. But it's interesting to hear about the early days when they didn't really have it figured out yet. It was kind of on its way to becoming what it is now. It's almost like they're reverting back to that in a way, though, because even with all the, the political sketches they have, they have people not on cast come in to do them. Well, yes, but the difference, I think, is that they're major. Like those are the biggest celebrities. Whereas back then it was this weird, it was, uh, it was alt comedy. It was this weird, right. these weird people that you like have kind of heard of, but it's like it fit at 1130 at night. You know, I think right. that was the main thing. Um, but uh, here, uh, this one is called doing taxi. Yeah. So uh, taxi comes calling and um, th- this is basically after Lauren said, like, we can't, hire you. <laughs> like, we're just not going to do it. And Lauren also gave him the, he's like, 
uh, Andy's like, I don't, I really don't want to do a sitcom. And Lauren Michaels was like, no, you're right. A sitcom is death. And Andy Kaufman was like, well then hire me. And Lauren was like, can't do it. <laughs> well, let's hear about this. So I spoke to Andy and his initial this reaction. Is, uh, sorry. Was, this is, uh, uh, he was mentioned in the last clip, but this is George Shapiro. Who's uh, played by Danny DeVito in the movie Man on the Moon, um, but uh, Andy Kaufman's longtime manager and friend. So I spoke to Andy, and his initial reaction was, uh, "I really uh, don't want to do a TV series. I just love, you know, creating material and doing that. That's, you know, what my essence is is, is to do that." I said, "Well, these guys are great. They did the Mary Tyler Moore show. They're, they're just in- incredible uh, pro- producers." And uh, he asked if they saw Tony Clifton. I said, yeah, they did see Tony Clifton. And he said, well, if you could make a deal for Tony to do four shows, you know, the, the order was for 22 shows. If you could get Tony to do four shows and I'll do 14 shows, I'll do it under those circumstances. And then I, and also I had, you know, uh, as sophisticated as Jim Brooks and Ed Weinberg were, they did not know that was Andy. I had to tell them that that opening act, Tony Clifton was Andy Kaufman. And the only way he would do taxi would be if Tony gets the gig also. So they said uh, they decided to do it. They felt it was worth it, you know, to uh, give Tony four shows. And I had to negotiate a deal with Paramount for two people, you know, and, and I had the backing of, of Brooks and Weinberg, you know, and, uh, uh, I had to negotiate, uh, you know, separate parking places, uh, separate dressing rooms. Andy made considerably more money because he had more exposure from Saturday Night Live. So... <laughs> But I made two distinct contracts. I have the contracts. They're, they're two separate contracts. So if you really grasp what that is, is Andy Kaufman made considerably less money because as Tony Clifton, he was making less money than he would have if it was Andy Kaufman. And my favorite part about that story is George Shapiro having to negotiate for a fictitious man. <laughs> There's a man that doesn't exist named Tony Clifton. And George Shapiro had to negotiate his deal and, you know, put in demands and, and different salaries that he was willing to accept. And yeah, no, he, he had to have a real negotiation. So me- mentally stable enough for the military, for sure. How, how aware are you, Craig, of Tony Clifton? Not. Not at all. No, I've heard, I know the name, but I yeah. know. Okay, that's, that's interesting because in my mind, I didn't pull a ton of Tony Clifton clips because I was like, oh, people know who that is but i think i think if you're of a certain age you completely know the tony clifton story but uh for our younger viewers out there uh maybe you guys don't know that tony clifton was a real supposedly a real like lounge act that andy kaufman saw now uh zamuda tells the story that Andy Kaufman swears his this guy's name was Tony Clifton. They've they've searched for this guy forever, were never able to find him. So my guess of what happened is like Andy heard Tony Clifton, but it was really Tony Plimpton or something. You know what I mean? Like right. he, he Tony Clifford. Like the name was just off and it got lost in translation. And in Andy's mind, it just became Tony Clifton. So Andy started kind of doing this basically impression of the guy he saw in Vegas. And created this character, this kind of loudmouth lounge singer. He was a drunk. He was uh, he was basically a prima donna that hadn't made it, if that makes sense. He's Perfect. kind of one of those guys that thought he was a lot bigger than he than he was. And uh, so Andy would do this character, Tony Clifton, and be a real horse's ass. And 
eventually word got out that, oh, this is Andy Kaufman. But no one, like, when Andy was in that character, he wouldn't accept anyone acknowledging that. He would completely deny that. It was, and even he would do things like Andy Kaufman didn't drink. Tony Clifton drank Jack Daniels. Andy Kaufman never smoked cigarettes. Uh, Tony Clifton had, you know, a pack a day or something crazy. So he would completely take on this character. And when people started to say, hey, I'm, come on, Andy, I know you're Tony Clifton. Bob Zamuda, his writing partner, did a good enough Tony Clifton that Andy would come out on stage and people would be like, hey, do Tony Clifton. And he'd be like, well, I mean, I'm, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not Tony Clifton. But as a matter of fact, Tony Clifton is right here. <laughs> and people would be like, what the fight? It's a different guy. <laughs> so Tony Clifton is, is probably what Andy Kaufman is most credited for in, the terms, in, in terms of weirdness because it went to such an elaborate extent to pull it off and make people believe that that was a real thing. Imagine living in a time where like Google doesn't exist so you could not prove stuff. That, that's the that's what's great and we've we've lost that purely because of the technology we have Seriously. but yeah you're right you could get away with lying so much better and for a guy like Andy Kaufman that's perfect that exactly. no one can really google shit and call you out on it no one can trust me perfect right and honestly if you're Andy Kaufman you could just be like he has a contract with ABC right exactly <laughs> you know like he's a real man exactly um next we have him at Carnegie Hall Okay, well, then let me talk a little more about uh, Tony Clifton. Because in my mind, uh, shame on me, I pulled fewer Tony Clifton clips than maybe I should have because I was like, ah, everyone knows that story. But if you've seen uh, Man on the Moon, um, this is where Jim Carrey got a little lost in the character, in my opinion, is I think Jim Carrey kind of played it as everything Andy did was to the extreme that the Tony Clifton thing was. Right. But so what happened was they they cast Tony Clifton as Louis De Palma's brother, so Danny DeVito's character's brother. So it's not on Taxi, which is a great show, by the way. Go check it out uh, for anyone that hasn't seen it before. Great sitcom from the seventies. Um, it's not that Andy would play Tony Clifton in four episodes of Taxi. What they want, what was supposed to be the deal, was. Tony Clifton plays Louis De Palma's brother. So Danny DeVito has to sit there knowing this is Andy Kaufman, but offstage calling him Tony and on stage referring to him as his brother. <laughs> now, Tony Clifton was a real asshole. Like, didn't like to rehearse, didn't remember his lines. He was drunk. He showed up uh, with hookers. And this is where Bob Zamuda says that I believe it really was like a multiple personality disorder, maybe bipolar type of thing where he said Andy was not a sexual guy at all. Andy had like, according to Bob Zamuda, like erectile dysfun dysfunction troubles. But it as Tony Clifton, he could have a hooker suck his dick in the car because that was the character. <laughs> That's what Zamuda claims. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, uh, what are the what is, uh, commitment? Yeah. yeah. What's what's the freaking phrase? What's his name that played Abe Lincoln? Does that shit? Oh yeah, I'm glad. I'm actually I'm glad. I meant to use that specific example because this is where the Jim Carrey thing bothered me. Is uh, Daniel Day Lewis yes. that played Abe uh, Lincoln? They say it was a method acting. Method acting. Yes. And they say he was stuck in that character. But here's what always bugged me about that: is uh, apparently like Daniel Day Lewis would send texts to people 
in, you know, ye old English where he's speaking like Abraham Lincoln. Right. But in my mind, I was always like, how did Abraham Lincoln wrap his mind around what a cell phone is? Blew his mind. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. but that's what, that's what I'm saying. Where like, if you're that committed to the bit, then you shouldn't be using cell phones. You think or you, you would, should be, you should be freaking out that it's going to destroy humanity or something. His you brain must have so, exploded when he saw a street full of cars. Yeah. You shouldn't be sending texts, I guess is my point. Right. But, um, I think Jim Carrey took it to that level and made you believe that Andy was always trying to annoy people mm-hmm. and we'll get to the, why that's not necessarily the case, but with the Tony Clifton thing, I think that truly was his goal. And I did see their interviews where Tony Danza says that even as Andy Kaufman, he didn't always rehearse. Um, do you know who Mike Binder is? He did the uh, comedy store documentary on Showtime. Yeah. He does a lot of stuff with the uh, Burr. Yeah. Mike Binder was actually Andy Kaufman's fill in on taxi. So like, Mike Binder would rehearse with them and then Andy Kaufman would come in and finish the job. So uh, in a weird way, it gave Mike Binder work, but no one recognized him for no one knew he was playing Latka with the other cast members um, in rehearsals. Uh, so yeah, Tony Clifton is probably the most extreme bit that anyone has ever done because he took took it to the level of really making people believe it was a real guy. And even on Andy Kaufman's talk show, which we'll get to, um, his sidekick is Tony Clifton. And I don't know. I believe that was Bob Zamuda playing Tony Clifton because it was done in a way where I think they were on stage at the same time. If you're watching it, you might be thinking like, oh, it's probably Andy playing both parts and they're just cutting it. But I don't think Andy would have allowed that. He seems that committed to making people believe Tony Clifton was a real man. Um, you want to get into this Carnegie? Yeah. So uh, Carnegie Hall was uh, kind of the milestone achievement of his stand-up, quote-unquote, career. I I wouldn't call Andy Kaufman a stand-up, and I don't think he would have ever called himself that. But what he did on stage, I believe, is so influential to stand-up that, um, like when I was a kid that comedy central list of top 100 comedians came out. Yep. And Andy Kaufman was on it. The more I learned about Andy Kaufman, I was like, I don't know if I consider him. the lists I always hate are when it's like, you know, 20 best standups and it's like Tina Fey and Steve Carell. Oh, I hate it's that. Like, or 20 best comedians. And, yeah. it's the, and those two, it's like, well, not really. So I kind of thought of Andy Kaufman as that for a while. But then when you learn what his stage show did, like the impact that had on, uh, stand up. I think it's pretty fair to put him in that category. And this is how he closed his Carnegie Hall show. I, I said that if you're all good, we're all going to go out for milk and cookies. Well, I've hired, okay, now you've all been very good. Really have. Okay. And um, I'd like to take you all out for milk and cookies now. So if you'll all please, in an orderly manner, there's 20 buses out waiting for you outside. Wait a minute, and listen to instructions. There are enough buses for everyone if the buses each make two trips. So everyone who gets out, go on the buses, and the buses will make a... If you don't get on the first round of buses, don't worry, they will be back for you. So just wait patiently. So everybody, please go out, like nice ladies and gentlemen, and go out, and and the buses will be waiting for you outside. Just follow me, okay? Thank you. (laughs) And so he really did this. Now, I would bet the majority of people at Carnegie Hall just got up and walked out after the show. Correct. 
some stayed and they said that even some like uh would get off the bus and the bus brought you to this like printing shop <laughs> so even when you get there you're there were some people that were probably like oh he's he's fucked with us i guess let's go home <laughs> but if you went inside you learned that there really was an elaborate like milk and cookies celebration that he had planned for everyone <laughs> which is very funny <laughs> He's he was very committed to making people laugh and making people go, what the fuck is that? And it's kind of amazing. And this is what we said about Lenny Bruce, where it's one thing to push boundaries now when the boundaries have kind of been laid out. But what Lenny Bruce did is in a way, like create the boundaries, like what Lenny Bruce was doing hadn't really been done before. And I think that's very true of Andy Kaufman as well, where and, you know, as always, like Howard Stern claims he's the guy who invented a lot of shit. Yeah. And then people will point out, well, actually, Steve Allen did this first or, you know, I this was taken from Imus or something. I'm sure that's true of Andy Kaufman. I'm sure there were a lot of weird people in, imp- in the improv scene or whatever that were doing bizarre stuff. Right. But Andy Kaufman certainly brought it to a mainstream type of audience. You he, made, know? he made it okay for all of them to be weird. Exactly. Yeah, yeah he made it a, a genre of comedy, really. Seriously. Um, next is that Friday's clip we alluded to earlier. <laughs> yeah, so this is... First of all, if you've ever watched any Seinfeld bloopers, you know, the one guy that doesn't have a lot of fun with hijinks is Michael Richards. <laughs> oh. uh, so Michael Richards was on Fridays. Fridays was ABC's sort of answer to Saturday Night Live. Uh, Larry David wrote on Fridays. Uh, Like I said, Michael Richards was on there. But it never really took off. Um, But this was what was considered a classic moment. So this sketch is the, the cast is supposed to be acting high. Like they all got high before and didn't tell each other. I think is essentially the bit. Mm -hmm. So they slowly kind of start to realize that the other one is high. I believe that's basically the bit. And Andy said, well, that's not how it's going to go if I'm in charge. I feel stupid. You feel stupid. You feel very stupid. No, because where are you going? I don't know. I think I'm going to... This is all uh it's all in fun. Come on. Where are we now? <laughs> cut it. Cut out. Cut out. So you cut it out. But why do you have to push this in my face? And why do you have to push this in my face? I'll put it all in your face. Show. That's why. Why? Okay. So, so what do you have to spin? Look, I'm just trying to have everybody so tight around here. I don't understand. Bobby, Bobby go to commercial, man. What? I don't know. Why do you have to be so tight? What? 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 Come on, man. Hold on. And so that apparently is exactly how Andy wanted it to go. Apparently he basically started, if it wasn't clear, he basically started shitting on the sketch and was like, I feel stupid. This is dumb, whatever. 
And then the other cast members are kind of like, what the fuck are you doing? And it escalates into that. Well, now, Michael Richards walks off camera and grabs the cue cards. Is oh, well, he, he grabs the cue cards and then allegedly uh, started throwing a tantrum backstage and throwing the cue cards everywhere and ripping them up. Yeah. <laughs> so, Mike, yeah, Michael Richards doesn't play. Go watch those Seinfeld bloopers where like uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Jerry start laughing. And Michael Richards is just stoic there. Like, come on, guys, let's get it together. He's like a weirdo. Like, he's like a comedian actor who treats it like, you know, it's the Godfather. Well, Michael <laughs> Richards likes a lot loose on stage, which is oh, where sure. I like him. I think he has some profound thoughts at the Laugh yeah, Factory. That's, that's, where he, that's where he lets it all out. That's where he really thrives. Yeah. <laughs> that's where he lets his hair down. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, so what's interesting about that is... Um, Andy told the producers of Fridays he was going to do that. That's something interesting, and it's something the movie didn't capture, where Andy would, you know, kind of wink at some of the people who he knew, like, either they have to be in on it for this to go well, or I don't want to destroy what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I, I, The movie kind of captures him as, you know, uh, 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 an agent of chaos of some kind. <laughs> like, he just wanted to watch the world burn. I think to an extent that's true, but he would make sure like the right people kind of knew something was going on. And so uh, ABC, like they got a lot of backlash for this and then eventually said, oh, it's a prank and whatever. I don't think Fridays was a relevant enough show. Mm-hmm. I think like if anything, that probably did Fridays some good because people were talking about it right? for once. Um, but yeah, it was uh, definitely a controversy at the time. And it was also at a time where, uh, people started to wonder if Andy was losing his mind a little bit, which we'll get to. <laughs> I think so. Uh, next, we have the longest clip in the history of this show, I think. Yeah. <clears throat> so I didn't know where to cut this. I thought <laughs> I think it's one of the more interesting moments in television history. And if I wanted to present it correctly, I felt like we had to play the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So maybe we'll interrupt it at points, but uh, let's let it fly. So this is Andy Kaufman is a talk show. And he kind of, he, he did some things like even before Larry Sanders to poke fun at the talk show format, uh, before anyone else did like legendarily, I don't know if that's the case in this clip, but, uh, his, he made his desk, like it's a thing in talk shows where, you know, Johnny's desk was a little higher than the guest was sitting on the couch to kind of establish some sort of dominance over the, over his interview subject. Andy Kaufman made his desk like 11 feet high. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, he, he would do stuff like that to kind of poke fun at talk shows. So this is uh, what I consider an interesting moment. I'll tell you more about it when it's done. He had Elaine Boozler, who was uh, a lot of people didn't know they dated early in their comedy careers. So he has Elaine Boozler on his talk show and they kind of get into some stuff that uh, I think Elaine didn't know they were going in that direction. Uh, I remember when you went up there, that was, uh, uh, I stayed at your apartment and you said you were going away with your parents. You remember, this is about towards the end of the second year, and you said uh, that you were going to go away with your parents and I I could stay in your apartment because I lived on Long Island and she lived in New York City and I wanted to stay in the city. So, uh, So I found out that you had gone with him. And then I called you at your house and uh, you were, you know, and you wanted to break up. Oh, boy. I remember. Well, I think that about that time, I think we both were wanting to break up, right? Well, actually, sometimes I would wake up in the morning and uh, I'd, I'd think, uh, I'd like to tell you 
that we're going to break. I'd say, well, I've got to tell her tonight we're going to break up. Really? Yeah. And then uh, that night I'd get up to you and then you'd like say... Like towards the end of the two and a half years or during, you know... The a lot of times because we were constantly breaking up and going back together. And I, and I would say, oh, I'm going to tell her tonight. We're going to break up. And then I'd get to you and you'd say, Andy, we've got to break up. And I'd say, no, <laughs> no, you know, because I didn't want to... Well, you know, also, I, I was the only one earning any money for us. Oh. So you yeah. couldn't really <laughs> leave, I guess. That was, that was because... Um, uh, I was performing every night in the nightclubs, and you didn't get paid in those days for, you know, for three Nothing. years. You didn't get yeah. paid. But Elaine had a job. She, you were hostessing yeah, at seven the nights in, a improvisation week. in New York. And uh, so she had the only one of the two of us that would make any money. So I supported us. Yeah. And then you made it in taxi, and I, this is the first what, time I've what, seen what you in about six years. What kind of things that we do? Six years. Remember when you tried to get Krista to fix you up with that little ballet dancer? What? Who? What's her name? The one he's married to now? Oh, that, yeah. So you always what about that? So you were always trying to, you know, and then with the, you know, all the spiritual stuff. I worked yeah, where they served so liquor, funny so with you didn't want to kiss me desk. goodnight, and then you went out with people on heroin after that. I mean, I don't know. It's just, I mean, I think you put me through a lot of stuff. <laughs> just a lot of stuff that I think I, you know, I mean, I'm surprised that you asked me to do the show with you. Quite frankly, no, that's because I've I never you for... told anybody that I went out with you. I, I never, know, and because that's... I thought that you had made it real big, and yeah. I didn't want to be one of those women who makes it on some guys. So, you know, I wanted to really be. You didn't have to worry about and... that, but I asked you to do the show because I, I figure you're an old friend. I mean, we we went out really? for two and a half years, and it's been ten years that we've known each other. Right. And I thought years. we're still friends. We and are could, friends, and we can work together. Yeah, I think so. It's a Sounds you know, the show has no budget or anything. I understand that, but yeah. what about like well, taxi with all paid? that budget, and you never asked me to do anything on that? I don't have any power uh, over there. I'm not. A, I'm, I only well, not an now, actor. I'm just hired as an actor on the show. I know. I don't have any, I can't tell them who to hire. Well, I just... As a matter of fact, I wrote a letter to the producers before it went on the air to, uh, and I recommended you for the part. <laughs> Is this a coordinated bit? Oh, and I recommended you for the part. You did? Yeah. I don't know, I just, you know... Well, okay. Uh, I think we're going to have to cut to commercial now. So um, we'll see you in, a, in, in, we'll be right back. Okay. All clear. That, I hated that. I can't believe that's I hated the it too. Why didn't you prepare more? Because. <laughs> I'm trying to ask you leading questions so that you could. Well, I didn't, uh, you, the first thing you say when I come in is that you went out with me. I mean, I'm not expecting that. I hated it. And then this, I mean, you know. Well, I was asking you, I have a list of questions that you gave me the other day. I was yeah, going so we to talk about the bums in New York City. Yeah. I said, so where, what have where you been doing? The bums in New York City. I start talking about New York City and you start talking about the other guy in the Catskills. You brought up the Catskills I have shrinks. Times. I have shrinks. Why did you say shrinks? I can't sit here and interview myself too. I mean, it's too but supposed to wait for my leading questions. So why didn't you ask me anything? I was trying to, and this you, and you got horrible. out of it. horrible. This was so terrible. No, it wasn't. I can't believe it, and I really don't believe that you don't remember reading I the don't think it's as good me. as it could have been. I don't think I, it was good at all. Because you had all this pressure on you. You think that you were supposed to go someplace and start a, start a fight or something, start some kind of an argument. Why did you have to bring up the minute I came out of that we used to go out? Because I was going to do that later on. I thought it would be appropriate to do well, it in the it beginning. Well, it was terrible. Well, I think it was terrible. To, it wasn't terrible. I just yeah, don't think I, it was as good as well, it could I have been. I think it was terrible. Yeah, well, that's because you're so stubborn and hard-headed about the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, I have, I have, uh, I have uh, all these questions. Bums, you're supposed to talk about the bums in New York City. Then you talk about shrinks, how you went to a shrink because 
you were the only person you knew who uh, would go up to a bum and ask them if they need money. And then, uh, uh, and then, then you talk about why you don't talk about shrinks, um, because comedians, those are some one of the subjects that comedians don't talk about. And then, and then no-nos in comedy, and that's shrinks bleeding to death. Death is another no-no in comedy. Who's the best comedian of death? The guy you went to the Catskills with. Then you talk about the Catskills, the whole thing in the Catskills. Then you talk about the cake and the train. You opened with then the you talk about, Then you talk about, you open with Catskills. You open with, with the Catskills. Then comedians, <laughs> then you so then talk about the way at time I flipped out at Channel 5 in New York, and, uh, and, and they had to take me away with the security guards. And, um, and the whole Bill Boggs episode. Do that's I have a list of paper then, in front of me? You have a whole list of right, subjects. Right, so why didn't you, you just so wait? I led you into the New York City. I said, what, have you been to New York City lately? Have you, and you changed the subject. I did not change the subject. Yes, you did. You changed the, the, the subject. I'm sitting here trying to lead you into New York City. I'm sitting here not trying to lead you into the, into New York City. I'm, the, I'm trying to lead you into the, the, uh, the sub. Okay, we're back. yeah that was a bit (laughs) masterfully done oh yeah i think can i tell you the perfect example of how brilliant it was is you see andy kaufman and elaine boozler both playing their parts so incredibly well Mm -hmm. and i think what illustrated that uh, amazingly is that I set this clip up by saying, this is a pretty crazy moment, and I'll tell you more about it after. And halfway through, Craig goes, I, I think this is a bit. Well, I, I, I watched it when I cut well, it. Beautifully and I, done. I watched it. When, what, when, an, what a dance of improv that was. If, if, if Craig she did, with his no period midstream. If she didn't awkwardly stand on her chair to reach on top of his desk to grab a glass of water, I would not have known it was a bit. Yeah, well, that's why I wanted to play the whole thing is I think it's so perfectly done. And I'm sure they did. They did uh, date in their early 20s. And I think a lot of that uh, maybe they dug within their relationship to to pull from and do that so well. But I always thought that was the greatest clip ever. And I never I never hear it talked about. And I always wonder if people watching that at the time were like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> you probably- These two are really going at it because that is, I mean, as well as I've ever seen done in any movie or TV show or anything, a couple bickering in that way and having real stuff come up. Like that was oh, beautifully yeah. done. I mean, you could tell they dated. Yeah. I mean, not good guys. Just so everyone, in case you missed it, not good enough to fool Craig. He, he saw through it. It fooled me. Let us all know. It but. fooled me the first time I listened to it. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta be honest. I didn't notice yeah. her standing up on her chair to get the drink the first time. I must've been looking down or something when I was listening. Yeah. So and, I, I, I wanted yeah. to play that whole thing just cause I thought it was so uh, well done. And what Andy did with playing with uh, talk shows Again, I don't, I never heard, I don't know if Gary Shandling was at all an Andy Kaufman fan, um, but he, uh, uh, I wonder if he took influence from like playing with the talk show format uh, based on what Andy Kaufman was doing a few years earlier. And also this is where I do credit Seinfeld because um, I saw Howard Stern ask Seinfeld about Andy Kaufman and stereotypically, you know, if you just took what Seinfeld does and his kind of highfalutin philosophy on comedy, you would think he would have no interest in Andy Kaufman, but to Seinfeld's credit, he thought Andy Kaufman was brilliant. And he said that the only guy that could have played Kramer other than Michael Richards is he thought uh, Andy Kaufman could have done a great job with it. I still think that would have been a different character. Definitely. But, but he thought that uh, Kaufman's the one guy that maybe could have pulled that off. Definitely. Uh, Next we have, I don't. Only Michael Richards pulls that one off. 
completely different well, character. Well, like we talked about, it's a, always a different character because even like, you know, in the Seinfeld episode, we talked about other options and Jeffrey Tambor, I think, auditioned. He could have played a version of Kramer. It, it wouldn't be the Kramer that we know. Wasn't Chris could Rock one of them? Funny? Chris Rock was uh, George. George, George. 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 Yeah. George. yeah. Um, next we have Letterman. Yeah, so... This is, uh, and Craig's going to jump in in the middle and say uh, that Jerry Lawler and Nick Kaufman <laughs> were friends, actually. So I want to get ahead of that. <laughs> well, it just speaks how good the bit was. Took me two- I, guys, I think this is, there's something fishy here. It took me two watches. You know, actually, guys, I don't think Mike would be playing this if it wasn't. <laughs> oh, no, interesting point. Well, the first time I watched it, I knew he was doing a bit. I didn't think she was in on it the first time I watched it. I understand. Yeah. I understand. Um, yeah, so this is Letterman. We'll talk more about some of the wrestling stuff in a minute. But uh, Andy Kaufman started wrestling women. And it now kind of has the reputation of, to use Lenny Bruce again, like everyone points to uh, Lenny Bruce reading the court transcripts as to like when he snapped, supposedly. Uh, people kind of use this time frame with Andy Kaufman because the wrestling women lasted so long mm-hmm. and, and kind of at a certain point consumed him. Mm-hmm. People started to think like, has he lost it? <laughs> um, but I think this is an interesting clip with Letterman. And this is a uh, Stern talking to Letterman where you learn again, a little something that the movie doesn't portray about Andy Kaufman's awareness of his surroundings. He was tremendous, and and he uh, was always a gentleman to me uh, and always would let me know I'm going to do A, B, and C and and don't get upset when the wrestler hits me. Uh, well, you knew about yeah, that because, yeah. I mean, it looked terrible. <laughs> I mean, it really looked like, like, like you were upset, and when this guy, Jerry Lawler, he didn't seem to be in on the joke. Like, he really smacked Andy. Yeah. We're going to yeah, pause here for station yeah, I, identification and get the hose out here. So Andy at that time loved wrestling. And here's where I think the bit where people were confused by it is wrestling wasn't as mainstream as it is now. And the clear line between like fiction and reality and wrestling was not drawn. Oh no. Back then people still thought it was real. Right. Exactly. So people were kind of thinking like, what the fuck is going on now? If a comedian has some bit going with, I don't know who, you know, CM Punk or something. <laughs> good poll, <laughs> good poll. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay, it's a it's a bit. But back then, I think people thought legitimately like Andy Coffin was going through something. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, Jerry Lawler said uh, about a decade ago, he came out and said, uh, you know, me and Andy Kaufman were actually friends. And then he said something to the effect of like, if Andy is still out there and wants to, and, and he makes a comeback, and, and does our bit again, I'd happily go along with it. And I was like, well, Jerry, you just kind of blew the whole thing. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> back now then, we, if he's alive, we know. <laughs> back then, too, Jerry Lawler was friggin' huge. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. And he was very popular. Like, I, do I just know the name Jerry Lawler because of the Andy Kaufman thing? Or he, I, if I'm not mistaken, he was a very popular wrestler, too. Yeah. And if you, if you watched Raw when we were younger, uh, he was the announcer forever. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It was him and JR. Him, Jim Ross. Yeah. yeah, so he would do these bits where he would wrestle women. He would he would get into it with Jerry Lawler. 
uh, and talk all this trash. And I, I think what Andy was doing again, similar to dice, <laughs> um, what Andy was doing is making like really sexist comments towards these women and basically talking about how he could beat the, beat the shit out of any, any woman <laughs> and challenge every woman to wrestling matches. Yeah. Now, what Andy was doing in a weird way is he knew there was this kind of misogynistic um, background of wrestling at that time. And he was exposing that. And was he actually took the heat, similar to Dice kind of exposing meatheads in that light. Mm-hmm. Andy Kaufman took the heat of people calling him a sexist to call out something that was happening. I mean, not just in wrestling, but all of entertainment, really. But like the views of women Andy Kaufman was exposing in this completely satirical way and took on the burden of people criticizing him for something that he had the exact opposite, opposite opinion of. He was a a perfect heel as they like to say in wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, the other thing, the other part about that clip that I find interesting is, uh, that he would tell Letterman that Letterman was completely in on it because it's tough it's tough to find the right line. I think Andy Kaufman obviously found it at least for that time period, but it's tough to find the right line. Cause I think like if you were now, if you were going to do something like that, Stephen Colbert or Jimmy Kimmel or whoever, they could not be in on it to have it come off. Well, right. But I think that's because now people sort of expect, they're like, Oh, is this an Andy Kaufman thing? Right. You know what I mean? Like Andy Kaufman did so much of this shit that he's become the reference to where like people call, uh, we'll talk a little bit about Norm in a bit, but people call Norm, like they draw the comparison, like, oh, Norm has this Kaufman element to him. I don't, I don't really see the similarities other than Norm was a weird guy that liked making people believe in things, (laughs) like, you know, go along with his bits without them realizing it. And so that's where I give Andy Kaufman the most credit is even people that uh, like their act is nothing like Andy Kaufman, but he basically created the genre of playing the heel and kind of getting you to believe something that wasn't right in comedy, you know? Exactly. Um, next we have Andy's heart. Yeah. So this is, we're going to talk a little bit about the movie and the impact the movie had on him because this is Mary Lou Henner, one of his co-stars from taxi uh, remembering Andy and kind of in the way that we've talked about the depiction of him in the movie, uh, she didn't really seem to agree with that either. With all due respect to Jim Carrey's performance in Man on the Moon, I felt like he got the crazy a little too much of Andy, but he never got the heart. Andy had a great heart. He was like a good boy. And in many ways, his genius was that he could be the boy next door, you know, the boy from the neighborhood, from Great Neck or wherever he was from, and then do something so crazy and different that it was that kind of yin-yang that made your head spin. Uh- yeah, and so, like I said, he was a he was a human being that had relationships with people that it seems to me in watching interviews with a lot of people talk about Andy now, to be fair, this is years after his death. So maybe there's a spoiler sort of don't speak ill of the dead sort of um, looking on, looking back on him fondly element to some of this, but it seems like the people in his life weren't constantly like 
oh, if I shake this guy's hand, is he going to have a wacky buzzer in his palm? You know, <laughs> I don't think it was constant hell being around Andy Kaufman. Right. And I think that's my issue with uh, Man on the Moon, where Jim Carrey, almost his depiction of the weird Andy Kaufman was so good that it almost created this image of like, this guy must have been a nightmare to be around, <laughs> which doesn't seem like it was the case. Right. But we'll hear uh, Jim talk about him getting himself into that role. I think it's been a long process, and uh, I, I'm not saying that I don't get caught up in the story because the story's fucking compelling sometimes. Uh, but um, but it was a definitely definitely an important moment in the process where I found myself. Uh, subjugating Jim Carrey for Andy Kaufman and Tony Clifton, and then uh, and then at the end of it, looking for Jim Carrey again and having trouble finding him. And at a certain point, I I realized, hey, wait a second, you know, if it's so easy to lose Jim Carrey, who the hell is Jim Carrey? And there was this Spielbergian kind of rack focus at that point, where like Roy Scheider on the beach, where I was kind of watching from another place. That's where Jim Carrey and any actors like that kind of annoy me. Where Bug it's like, well, the, the shit the out Jim of Carrey? Yeah. Bugs the but shit out of me. I'll tell you what's interesting about Jim Carrey, though, is he has these two sides where I watch him in the Comedy Store documentary or I watch the episode of uh, Norm MacDonald Live that he did with Norm. And I think, oh, this is a, like this is a comic. Like he likes talking comedy and he seems right. like almost like he misses the Comedy Store days and that stuff. I that, In those moments, you think of him as a real comic. But then you hear him, you know, just fingering his own asshole there talking about the the process man <laughs> oh ever since he started painting i've i've been out on jim carrey but that, well that's what i'm saying though is the two things that i named are in that time frame where what when he's around comics he seems like a real comic and like he gets it and then when he gets into actor mode is when uh, he sort of bugs me and that jim and andy documentary that they made is like look at i mean Matt just just trying to be Andy Kaufman was a torture on this man. And it's like, by all accounts, when you listen to DeVito, and to be fair, Danny DeVito had a hand in making the movie. Mm -hmm. But when you listen to Danny DeVito and Tony Danza and Mary Lou Henner and these people that were his co-stars, um, even like Judd Hirsch, who says like, I didn't know him that well. And he could be a pain in the ass at times, but like he was a good man. Right. And I think the movie kind of lost that because they got so wrapped up in his weirdness, you know? Right. Like we were saying earlier, it's like, no, he's playing a character that's not who he is. <laughs> and it ends. Spoiler, if you want to watch the movie, you know, mute me or skip ahead or whatever you got to do. If you haven't seen the movie before, I'm about to give away the ending. So fair warning. But it the, the movie ends with, like, so Andy Kaufman has, has died. Um, <gasps> by the way, here's some things about Andy Kaufman's death that do contribute to people believing it was a bit. Andy Kaufman didn't smoke and got lung cancer. So when he tells everyone he has lung cancer, they're like, wait a minute. You don't, <laughs> do you? <laughs> you lying to me. <laughs> and they say that, um, oh, damn, I'm, th I'm forgetting her name. Carol, is it Carol King? Uh, why can't I think of her name? She played Simca on Taxi. She's been in Seinfeld and 30 Rock, and she was in, um, uh, she was in uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. He owned the apartment, if that helps you figure out who I'm talking about. But um, she, uh, the, the the story is that at the funeral, again, it was an open casket, so that should kind of tell everyone how, uh, it, like, he died. <laughs> but, Carol Kane. Uh, yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When she was at the funeral, she says that, like, she 
poked his body to kind of make sure like <laughs> is this a bit <laughs> that's kind of legendary yeah so that is like while i'm saying maybe maybe he wasn't the craziest guy in the world there was the element of like he always was trying to pull one over on people right so you know, there may be some hypocrisy in what I'm saying as to far as like how crazy he was and everything. Cause he did make people believe like this could be a bit to where I think Bob Zamuda still b- believes it or wants to. <laughs> um, but he, I guess he always also talked about wanting to do that, like fake his own death and disappear. So that's another thing that contributes to, but again, to be able to fake the autopsy reports and all of that kind of stuff. You know, you'd have to have a man on the inside really uh, pulling this off. But hey, Andy, if you're out there, call Bob Zamuda because uh, he misses you. <laughs> he misses you, buddy. <laughs> but uh, um, oh, but that's what I was going to say is the movie, the, the ending of the movie. Um, to where like people want to believe it's a bit or whatever. The movie ends with uh, Paul Giamatti who plays Bob Zamuda. Um, like Tony Clifton's on stage and Andy Kaufman had died. And then you see uh, Paul Giamatti in the audience. So it's supposed to be like, guys, he's still with us. Oh, you know, so that, that's one thing that bothers. it's like the man is dead. Let's all let's accept that <laughs> he has passed. Let's not add to the family's grief when they'd be like, I fucking knew it. Where is he? <laughs> <laughs> um, but next we have our favorite segment. Yeah, so we'll go out with a little, and this is by far, I would say, the most we've shoehorned Norm into an episode, because this isn't even really relating. People have compared Norm to Andy Kaufman over the years, and that's the only way that this is relevant, essentially. (laughs) Um, But first, I do want to remind you guys, go to blindmike.net. If you like this show, if you want it a week early, if you just can't wait to get your mitts on it, Mm -hmm. and you want bonus episodes, and you want to see what those are all about, uh, subscribe to the Patreon or become a YouTube member. Um, easiest way to find those links would be blindmike.net. And, uh, you can also support the show for free. Believe me, we understand. Uh, if, if, if you're not willing to become a patron or a YouTube member, just support the show for free. For God's sake, leave a five-star review, like comment, share all our stuff, tell a friend and the links for this podcast, all the free links for this podcast, as well as the blind Mike project. And who are these socials? The two, my two other podcasts. Um, you can check those out at blindmike.net. And uh, if you want, uh, put it this way, folks, if you want a bit spoiled halfway through, <laughs> if someone really does a, a lot of, a lot of for, puts a lot of forethought into setting something up properly. Yes. I feel like you want that completely spoiled. <laughs> if you want fucking the Kool-Aid man to jump in and tell you, no, no gang, this is satire. Then go to verygoodshow.org is where you can find Craig and all of his high drinks. I, I did feel like Chris Farley interviewing um, uh, Paul McCartney and be like, that, that was a hoax, right? Like- this is, uh, yeah, so you you were doing something here, Andy? <laughs> this is <laughs> it's just theater of the mind, is that right? It should have looked harder. <laughs> Guys, I think this is a bit. Oh, thank you. This oh, gee, real. I hadn't thought of that. But uh, here's Norm. One time we were in the office uh, doing up. Oh, so this stuff. is uh, sorry. This is um, Jim Downey, longtime writer and uh, good friend of Norm's at Saturday Night Live. 
One time we were in the office uh, doing update stuff, and, and uh, uh, there was there had been a news item about uh, there was going to be a newspaper for the homeless, <laughs> you know. And so we were thinking about doing some of that. So we started improvising. It was more of a scene, not something we could do on, on mm-hmm. segment, but it was like uh, like a tough kind of Perry White kind of editor going like, "You Miller, I want five hundred words on going to the bathroom in your pants. <laughs> you, uh, you know, uh, Emil, give me something. Uh, give me a human interest thing on urine stain matters. <laughs> you, you know, is that kind of thing." Yeah, and like a lot of, lot of like photos, maybe some, you know, a little human side, you know, uh, what are, you know, pets, that kind of thing. And so nothing came of it. And, and I sort of forgot we had the conversation. And then the first meeting we have after the summer, uh, Norm goes to me and goes, hey, hey, Downey, remember that, uh, you know, that thing we were talking about there with the, uh, remember that, that thing with the newspaper for the homeless, you know, that thing, the homeless newspaper? And I go, yeah, yeah. He goes, yeah, well, you know, I was out in L.A. and I, I was asked to do this benefit, you know, for the coalition to feed the homeless. You know? And, uh, you know, I, I, and I'm going, no, no, you no. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, you know, I, I, uh, I, I did that bit, you know. They hated it. <laughs> they hated it. All right, you tell me now. He—that's part of the—that's the Andy Kaufman part of the joke. Or did, is yeah. he actually surprised that they hated it? That's what I can't quite figure with look. I know. Jimmy calls in here periodically and says that he has bought a puppet and he wants to work material out on the show. And I'll say, well, tell me about the puppet. And it's an old man puppet who's a Holocaust denier. And it's obviously <laughs> just Norm sitting at home talking as Norm. He makes no pretension to a puppet voice. I know. And I think he he's he's Andy. I don't know. I view, I, I view a lot of Andy Kaufman in there. <laughs> that was uh, Dennis Miller, obviously, on his radio show. And that is like... I don't think the comparison to Andy Kaufman is correct in the sense of Norm's style, but it was actually more in Norm's like personal life where the stories are where he would say like, you know, one night he'd be in a club and say he doesn't drink and hasn't drank in years. And the next night he would be drunk. Yeah. And people are like, is he pretending to be drunk? Is this a bit, what's happening? <laughs> where, like in his personal life, you never knew if Norm was getting one over on you or not. And that's where I think the, uh, the the similarities are between him and Kaufman. It's not nothing to do with his like on stage stuff, sure. but really more off stage, which is almost more legendary which in a way. Is very funny. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know, as always with you know, figures as big as Andy Kaufman, I'm sure there's some stuff we missed. Uh, if you want to let me know if there's enough stuff there, maybe we'll do a part two on Andy Kaufman down the road. But either way, I hope it. Uh, introduced some new elements of Andy Kaufman to you, or maybe sent you down a rabbit hole. If there's names or specials or anything you guys want us to cover, let me know. You can message me on Patreon or Twitter or Instagram, whatever. Um, Find me and message me and I'll generally respond or at least read it. So uh, let me know any suggestions you guys have for future. Why you laughing episodes? I think next week I'm almost done with the episode. I'm not sure if it's going to be next week's episode or not, but um, I think I'm leaning towards doing the mystery of Dan Ninen finally. Oh, that's that's when a lot of people have requested as well. So it's a long time coming this one. Yes. So uh, we will talk about Dan Ninen in an upcoming episode. And uh, let me know what you guys think. Go to blindmike.net to support this show. Go to very good show to support Craig and uh, follow hack ride on YouTube as well. I forget he's part of the show technically. Yeah. So uh, make sure you follow hack ride. He cuts all of our clips and, videos for YouTube and things like that. So uh, find Hack Ride on YouTube as well and subscribe. 
And we'll talk to you guys next time on Why Are You Laughing? Zip it up and zip it out. <laughs>